one, two, three. Now the Bible reading will be from Psalm 27. So um, if you want to open up your Bibles on your phones or as a hard copy. So Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in a shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in this tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Thank you, Tricia. Well, good morning, church. We had um, some wonderful events yesterday. We had our garage sale just out here all morning. And we're raising money for the park roof, the fundraiser. And I'm happy to announce that we raised $1,612.50 for the roof. So let's celebrate that. Just want to say a big thank you to all those who helped us with that and volunteered, and especially to Karina, who put a lot of effort into that one. And uh, we had a men's event last night as well, which was really good. It was good to get blokes together. We met across the road, and um, we tasted dishes, and we heard some testimonies from real men um, who have experienced the real power of God in their lives. So that was really encouraging as well. Lots going on in our church family. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Ben. I'm the community pastor here, and I'll be taking us through Psalm 27 this morning. And this is the final sermon in our sermon series, Awake and Alive. And the whole point of the series has been a pursuit as a church to become awake and alive to God, to, to reinvigorate our love for him, our passion for him, to seek him, to place him first, to make him our one thing. And you know, I was speaking to one of our brothers from this church this week and he was talking about how much he has been enjoying this series. And he said, 
One of the things that's been so helpful is how our lead pastor, Adam, actually interacts with the real difficulties and the real brokenness we face in this life. And I spent a little time reflecting on that and I thought, well, that's so encouraging because that just means Adam is preaching the Bible. He's preaching the Bible. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the famous English preachers, often claimed that the Bible was the most honest book in the world. It tells real stories about a real God pursuing real people like you and me. And in the Bible, we encounter people who are messy, who at times felt dejected and hopeless in life. We discover real people with really deep problems. And that's one of the reasons why I love the Bible, because it's relatable. The Bible actually interacts with what we are going through in life. And in Psalm 27, where we'll be spending our time this morning, David shows us the secret to facing life's difficulties. He tells us how to face life's hardships and come through victorious. He tells us how to walk through the storms and trials of life. And that is a message that all of us need. I know this not because I can read your mind, but because the Bible tells us that we're broken people living in a broken world ruled by the power of evil. So newsflash, we're all confronted with difficulty and struggle and pain at some point or another. Whether we're a Christian or not, we all need to know how to face life's difficulties well. And that also means that there's no use pretending to have it all together in this place. There's no use pretending to have it all together. No Bible-believing or Bible-reading Christian will ever believe that kind of facade anyway. We're here to help and love one another, and it should be okay to not be okay in this community. We should expect sometimes to see tears being shed. We should expect to see people praying for one another before, after, during services. We should expect people to be listening to one another sincerely. And in fact, I don't simply want us to expect that. I want to encourage each and every one of us this morning to be looking out for each other. That's one of the ways that we worship God. We come here to worship God on a Sunday. So we're here for Him. We're not ultimately here for ourselves. We're here for Him. And one of the ways that we worship Him is by looking out for the other, is by welcoming the outsider is by loving the one that is broken. So don't be afraid to to ask someone if they're okay. Don't be afraid to ask someone if there's anything that they would like prayer for right now. We're called to walk in love, not in fear. We're called to walk in community, not in isolation. We're all broken. This world is broken. We all experience this reality in different measures and at different times in life. So we need each other. And that means, unless you enjoy life's difficulties that we need to lean in and listen to what God is saying to us through Psalm 27 this morning. We all need to know how to face the realities of life. We need God's direct intervention. We need to know God's unfailing wisdom. And if I'm honest, I'm hungry myself to learn from this psalm. Because sometimes I find it overwhelming when I hear about how much hardship and difficulty people are facing. As a pastor, people regularly tell me about difficulties in their life. And on top of dealing with my own brokenness, it can be heart-wrenching, it can be heavy. So sometimes I find my heart just, just wanting to try and escape the pain and the difficulty of this world. But when I follow my heart, which the Bible says is broken as well, 
I end up creating faulty solutions that simply don't work. It's as if my soul knows it was created for a paradise like Eden and it simply can't process the fact that something has gone horribly wrong since then. And so it desperately tries to create these plastic Edens, these false Edens to, to go back to, to retreat to, to, to find solace in from the difficulties in this world. It looks for hope and pleasure and rest and holidays or a nice orderly home in money and power and sex, all sorts of things. But none of these things ultimately satisfy. Because what was truly good about Eden was not ultimately its surroundings, but the fact that there was where we had a real relationship with a really good God. And this is what this sermon series is all about. Awake and alive. We don't want band-aids. We don't want plastic Edens. We don't want man-made religion. That's all useless. We want to become awake and alive to the real God. So why don't we jump in and hear what God has to say to us through Psalm 27. I'm going to read the first three verses for us again just now. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. In these verses, as well as verses 4 to 6, it's as if we get the heavenly perspective on things. Later on the psalm, we'll get the earthly perspective. We'll see David wrestle with these truths. But right now, we're being shown the perspective of heaven. It's as if David is in heaven and he's seeing things as God sees them. And he is just brimming with confidence and assurance. He is fearless in the face of adversity. And it kind of reminds me of the story about the prophet Elisha and his young servant when they were surrounded by the Syrian army. I don't know if you know that story, but um, this great prophet Elisha there was being chased after by the Syrian army. And he was with his servant and this young boy just starts freaking out. He sees all the Assyrian army just surrounding them. He starts freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. And so Elisha prays to God and says, Lord, would you just open his eyes? And his eyes are opened. And he sees that actually around them are these fiery chariots. This spiritual army is surrounding them. And all of a sudden he feels that he is completely safe after all. He sees the heavenly perspective. He sees true reality. And it gives him confidence and assurance in the midst of the trial. And that is what's going on here. David is telling us how things really are. He's giving us the heavenly perspective. And in the midst of adversity, he sees the power and the protection of God. He says, the Lord is my light. He shines in my darkness. He is my salvation. He is the one who delivers me, who rescues me. He says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. He is my fortress. He is the one I can run into to find safety and shelter. The Lord, this heavenly perspective, the Lord is his saviour, his deliverer, his safe place. David sees this and he is filled with confidence in the face of adversity. Now, 
I wonder whether you think the same way about God. I wonder whether you see him the same way. To figure this out, a good question to ask is, where do we go, where do you and I go when our well-being feels threatened? What do you do when you are fearful, sad, discouraged? Because of what the Bible calls sin, something which we're all affected by, our reaction is far too often to retreat to our plastic Edens, to create counterfeit paradises for ourselves that we feel are good for us, but ultimately cannot protect or help us. For some of us, we believe work is our light. So we throw ourselves into our work. We find a bit of pleasure and satisfaction out of kicking goals in our career. That's our plastic Eden. Others think that shopping is their salvation. I don't know what it is, but having new things and, and buying new clothes and whatnot might just feel, makes us feel better for a little while. It makes us feel a little more whole inside for a moment. Others see beauty as their stronghold, their place of rest and safety from the outside world. And so they run off to places like pornography as a kind of fantasy world, a plastic Eden where they forget about the difficulties they face. I don't know what it is for you, but ever since humanity rebelled against God, the curse of sin entered into our story. And at the heart of sin is this desire for autonomy, to, to, to rule our own lives and go our own way. It's this thing inside of us that wants to decide what is good for ourselves. This thing that actually believes that we know better than God and his words in the Bible. And so we try to find our own way back to Eden. We reject God's wisdom and we blaze our own trail through life. But the trouble is the Bible tells us that the wages of sin, this, this autonomous lifestyle, leads to death. Romans 6 verse 23. We never find Eden autonomously. We never rediscover paradise this way. We can only rediscover the Eden we lost through God because ultimately Eden, this paradise, was the place where we enjoyed a real relationship with God. So it's actually vitally important for us to ask ourselves what we really believe about God. We need to ask ourselves whether we really believe God is our light and salvation, whether he is really our stronghold and fortress. Because if deep down, when, when push comes to shove, we believe our plastic Edens are our salvation, then we are already off the track that David wants to take us down. Remember, David is going to show us the secret to facing life's difficulties. And the first step in this process is to believe, as David did, that God really is the stronghold, the light, the salvation for all of us and for every issue and difficulty we face in this life. So the first question this psalm forces us to ask is, do you believe that? Do you have some kind of grasp that God alone is your rescuer, your salvation, your deepest need in this life? Not just for Sunday, but Monday through Sunday. Every single need, every single problem that we face. Do you believe that he is your only safe place? Now, don't think I'm trying to say that David had this 100% unfailing confidence and assurance in God all the time. That's not true. In fact, we'll see David wrestling later in the psalm. We'll see the earthly perspective soon enough. But what I do want us to see is that David had some kind of grasp about this truth. 
And his belief in God's protection not only gave him confidence in the trial, but we will see in the next verses that it also encouraged him to seek God in a very personal way. He sought God's presence not because he had to discipline himself to do something he didn't want to do, but because he believed God was a safe place and the trials in life drove him there. He believed that it would be deeply good and rewarding to draw near to God. Do you believe that? We're taught that this is actually necessary necessary for us if we're ever going to seek God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Whoever would draw near to God must not only believe that he exists, but must also believe that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe that it is actually deeply rewarding to seek after God? If we're going to become awake and alive to him, we need this belief. So do you believe God is your light, your salvation, your stronghold, and do you desire God? If you don't, ask God to reveal those truths to you. We can ask him those things. We can pray prayers like that. We can ask God, reveal yourself to me. Become my treasure. Become my desire. Help me to see that you are my stronghold in this life. You can ask him. And we need to start here with this belief because when we grasp that God is our only solution, our deepest need, our greatest desire, it will lead us to do what David does in verses 4 to 6. And it's in verses 4 to 6 that we discover the secret to facing life's difficulties. Here is what David writes. He says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies, all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. There are two things motivating David's pursuit of God here. The first thing we've already talked about, and that's his belief that God is his protection, his stronghold, his salvation. And this is what verse 5 tells us. In verse 5, David gives us an explanation for why he wants to be in God's presence in the temple. He says, I want to be in God's house for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. God is his safe place. The presence of God is his escape. The presence of God is the fantasy he goes to when he wants to escape the difficulties around him. He just wants to get away from it all and be in the very center of God's presence. And man, I long for this to be our knee-jerk reaction as a church. When we face stress and hardship and difficulties, wouldn't it be wonderful if it only drove us deeper into God's love, deeper into his presence? Wouldn't it be amazing if we only called more prayer meetings and sought God more fervently because we knew that God is our only safe place? As we grow in that belief, we will grow in our pursuit of him as a community when we face life's trials. David's belief in God's protection led him to seek God's presence. But there is something else that encouraged his awake and alive pursuit. 
And that is the belief that God is beautiful beyond measure. God is beautiful beyond measure. Verse 4, we read David saying, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Just quick explanation there. He's talking about the house of the Lord. In those, day, in those days, God chose to, to, to dwell in a tent or in a temple. That was where his presence was located for people back in that time. So he says he wants to dwell in this house in the presence of God. And we ask ourselves, why? Well, in order to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So David longs to be in the temple in order to gaze upon God's beauty and inquire. That Hebrew word can be translated as to meditate, to seek after God. He wants to be in God's presence because he wants to see God's beauty. He wants to seek after God. He wants to meditate upon him. He wants to know him. You see, he not only believes God is his safe place, but he believes God is actually delightful, enjoyable, beautiful, captivating. And so he fantasizes about being in the very center of God's presence. This is David's one thing. This is David's secret for facing life's difficulties. The secret is to be in the very center of God's presence. I love this. I love this truth. Martin Lloyd-Jones again, he says it so clearly. He says, we must always start in heaven and with God. Then, having done that, we come down to earth and face the problems of life and of living as we find them and the light of, all, of what we have already seen in heaven with God. Never start with your problems. Never. Never start with earth. Never start with men. Always start in heaven. Always start with God. The one thing with which we must always start is our relationship with God. The whole trouble in the world today is due to the fact that that has been forgotten. People always start with themselves, with the world, with life, and with their problems. And you know, I've, I resonate with this truth. There's been times in my life where I can see this truth really clearly. And, and one of the last times I can see that was when we had our worship and prayer evening just out the back here a few months ago. Uh, we were just worshipping God, singing to Him. And uh, there were times where I just felt so wrapped up in, in God and who he is that my soul just felt enthralled. I just felt joyful. I felt life. And, and walking out of the shed after that night, I just felt my head was lifted high. I felt joyful. I felt confident. I was ready to face life's trials because I knew who God was. I knew who he was. I loved him. I had a, another glimpse of his beauty, his protection, his majesty. And that enabled me to walk out into this world and to face life's trials with the right perspective. Now some of us might be asking the question, how? Okay, the solution is to, to enter into God's presence, but how do we do that? I mean, David of all people knew that there were barriers between him and this fantasy of his. That's why I keep saying that he's fantasizing about it, because he knew that he was not permitted to enter the very heart of the temple where God's direct presence dwells. Only the high priest could do that, and he knew that. And this barrier was there because a sinful people could not just waltz into the presence of a holy God. 
These restrictions existed because of sin. And the same goes for us today. The main barrier between us and the presence of God is still sin. And like I said earlier, sin in many ways is this desire to be autonomous from God. And the Bible teaches all of us that we are born under this curse as Adam and Eve's descendants. You can read about it in Romans 5. From birth, we, we have this, this nature within us that wants to rebel against God. Now, that's a barrier. Don't be surprised when, when you know, there's an opportunity to seek God and you feel a resistance within you. The Bible's real about that. And not only that, but we have also inherited Adam and Eve's condemnation. Again, that's in Romans 5. We no longer have the right to access God's presence since they rejected him in the garden. We were expelled from Eden many years ago when Adam and Eve rebelled and there remains a barrier between us and the presence of God. So what are we to do? God's presence is our only hope in this world and yet we cannot enter it. Is this some kind of trick? Is is David just letting us in on some kind of impossible fantasy of his? Well, far from it. God is not cruel. He does not delight in the fact that our relationship with him is broken. In fact, the whole story of the Bible is about this awesome God pursuing us, restoring us, seeking his people to restore them. And that the very climax of the story is Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh. He came on a rescue mission to seek us out and save us. And he took upon himself our condemnation so that we might receive his right standing before God. It's what we call substitution. We understand this idea, you know, when a teacher can't make it to work because they're sick or something like that, they call in a substitute teacher. And this teacher replaces them for the day, they take their class, they take their duties, they they teach for them. Now Jesus, when he came, he identified with us, he became one of us, he became human, he represented us before God. And he didn't take our class, but he took our condemnation. He took our sin. He took our death. He took our judgment in our place. That's why his death was by crucifixion. Because it was so shameful and degrading. Because he was taking the sin and the shame of the world upon himself. Jesus went through exactly what we fear most in order to give us what we need most. Relationship with God. Now, later on in Psalm 27, we get an insight into some of David's deepest fears. He says to God, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. David feared being cut off from the presence of God altogether. He feared the abandonment of God. And so he pleads and prays that this might not happen. And it's in these verses that we get the earthly perspective. David's earlier confidence gives way to doubt in these moments. He looks at the darkness. He looks at the brokenness around him and within him. And his confidence is shaken. Suddenly he isn't so sure that God is for him. He fears that his own sin will eventually cause God to abandon him. You see, David is not an unrealistic example of someone who has their head in the clouds. He was a person like you and me. And he shows us that even when we are overwhelmed by the darkness, the only right response, the only response that makes sense is to take these things to God. 
And David's trust in God was not misplaced. For when God came face to face with the barriers that we set up between us and him, he didn't turn his face away. He didn't abandon us. He became one of us. And it's if God the Son said to God the Father, let me be their substitute. Hide your face from me like David feared so that you can reveal it to them. Turn me away in your anger that you might turn again to them. Forsake me, give me up to the will of my adversaries so that they will never be forsaken. That they might be freed from the power of Satan, sin and death. God the Son, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit agreed to this plan. And so God took on flesh, became like us, entered into our suffering, took on our sin and shame, faced off with our enemies so that we might find our way back to Eden again. Back to the Eden of his presence. And the fact that the barrier was removed between us and his presence was symbolized by the tearing of the temple curtain. David longed to be in the temple, but he couldn't go in there. He wasn't the high priest who could enter into the Holy of Holies, this most holy place where God's presence dwelt. And that place was, was barriered off by a thick curtain. But when Jesus died on the cross, Matthew records this for us. It says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. Jesus' death removed the curtain. This thick curtain that blocked God's presence from us, Jesus' death dealt with it. Jesus' death dealt with what lay between us and the presence of God. That's what Hebrews 10 teaches us, where it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that place behind the curtain, we have confidence to enter that place by the blood of Jesus. His blood was enough to cleanse us from our sin. We have confidence to enter by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, which was broken for us. And since we have a great priest, that's Jesus again, over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. So we really do have access to the solution that David speaks of. Jesus has dealt with the barriers between us so that now we can enter into God's presence. We can know deeply and intimately the secret to facing life's trials. We can know what it is to be awake and alive as a church. What it is to be in the very center of the presence of God. In fact, the good news gets even better than that. Because God didn't stop there. The Bible teaches us that not only are we able to access God's presence through Jesus, but because God is so good, he has chosen us as his new dwelling place. We together, as the people who trust in Jesus, are the new temple of God. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, do you, plural, do all of you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. This was amazing. This was shocking. The presence of God that could not be accessed by Israel directly 
God has now decided to, to give us that presence to fill us with his Holy Spirit to choose us to be his temple. That's amazing. The good news is even better than we expected. Not only have the barriers between us and God been dealt with, but God has chosen us to be his new temple. God has filled us with his spirit, his presence, so we don't have to strive to find him. He has found us. He has chosen us. He has filled us so that we can commune with him wherever we are in this world. This is the radically good news of the gospel. God has chosen us to be his new dwelling place. God has given his spirit to broken people who put their faith in Jesus, who really believe that what Jesus did has dealt with their sin. And this is ultimately where all of us need to start. The only place where we will be able to face life's difficulties is in the very centre of God's presence. And the only way we can ever enter into God's presence is if our sin, this, this barrier between us and God, is dealt with. So all of us start with Jesus. Now I want to speak to those who wouldn't necessarily call them Christians for a moment. I want to speak to those who are seeking answers or who are here because they were dragged along. I want you to consider this question because the Bible teaches that your answer to this question determines whether you can enter into God's question or not, into, into God's presence or not. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that what he did on that cross actually dealt with the barrier between you and God? That he actually took your sin upon himself. That he actually died in your place because he loves you. Do you believe that? Do you trust in him to deal with your deepest problems? Do you believe that? This is where we all need to start. If we're going to become awake and alive to God, we need to receive the one who became dead and buried on our behalf. If we're going to find our way back to Eden, we need to let the one who created Eden lead us home. So will you accept Jesus? That offer is on the table for everyone here this morning. I want to speak to those who are just struggling and battling in life at the moment. Here's David's final piece of advice to you and to me. He says in verse 14, Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You see, David doesn't have any hot shot, quick fix answers for us here this morning. But he encourages you and I to do what he is doing. He believes that God is his only hope, his only safe place, his light and salvation. So he chooses to trust in and wait upon the Lord until his strength returns and his victory comes. This is the Christian life. And I just want to encourage you to do what David did, to run to God's presence, to run to Jesus, to spend time directly in his presence, speak to him, read his word, abide in him. These are the things we do when we are awake and alive to God. And these are the only actions that make sense when we truly understand who He is. I'd love to pray for us now if you'd bow your heads with me.
Father, we just bring ourselves before you. We thank you that your presence is here. That you have chosen us to be your people, your dwelling place, your temple. Lord, we look to you. We start with you. We don't start by looking at our problems. We look to you. And in you we see a God of love who entered into our pain and suffering and died in our place. We see a God of beauty, a God that our heart longs for, Lord. We want to seek you. Make us awake and alive to you in this community. Lord, we see a God who is holy, who is just, who would deal with every wrong in this world. We see a God who is mighty, who is our fortress. You are our safe place. Lord, help us to run to you. Meet us wherever we are at this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and minister to each one of us. Speak to us. Change us. Transform us. We need you. We want you. We pray this in your name, Jesus, as your people. Amen. Well, this morning we uh, have the opportunity to take Lord's Supper as well. So I'm just going to ask the helpers, when you're ready, come up, you can start setting up. Now the Lord's Supper, this table down here, is a visible display of God's grace. It puts on display all that God has done for us through Jesus. The elements in the table represent what Jesus did for us at the cross. The bread represents his broken body. The fruit of the vine, the cup, represents his spilt blood. And when we partake in this, when we do this together as a church, we look to the past. We remember Jesus' death. That his broken body and shed blood have dealt with the barrier between us and God and he has dealt with our sin. We look to the present, we celebrate that as we take communion, we now have communion with God and communion with each other. God has dealt with the, the barriers between not only himself but between us. And we look to the future when Christ will return. And we will never know what it is to be separated from the presence of God again. The Lord's Supper communicates to us that because of Christ's death on the cross, even though we've been God's enemies, we are forgiven. We are righteous. We are welcomed into God's presence again. It's not because of anything we've done. It's all because of Him. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 to 26 says this, The Lord Jesus in the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So who can come to the table? Who can come to the Lord's Supper? This is for people who have genuine sorrow over their sins. Who have genuine faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Who believe that what he did was enough. 
This is for those who are genuinely thankful for all that God has done. This is not for perfect people, but it is for those who have genuinely received Christ in faith. So if that's you, when the ushers invite you to come forward, you can come and collect the elements and then go back to your seat and we'll eat and drink together. All right, all things are ready, church. Come when you're invited up.